But hey, we are in uh, week two of our new series on Hebrews. Yes. So uh, don't worry. In, in a couple weeks when I say Hebrews, you're going to be like, yes, we love Hebrews. It's the best book. Uh, but we are in week two of our series. Uh, we rolled some out last week. Uh, honestly, we said that Hebrews is a titan of a book, and there's just no way that we can cover all of the good stuff on a Sunday morning. And so we unpacked a little bit of it uh, in our time together last Sunday. And though what we didn't cover, our rhythm will be on Tuesday evenings. Uh, we'll post kind of whatever we didn't get to on Sunday mornings, we will uh, do on Tuesday evenings. So there's a couple different chances for you uh, to engage and to tune in with what's going on in the book of Hebrews. But Hebrews is a titan of a book. It is big. It's like the Mount Everest. Romans and Hebrews are just next to each other with the uh, richness. They're the deep end of the swimming pool. And when you read the book of Hebrews, it's real easy kind of first glance through it to get lost, to feel overwhelmed, to not know really what's going on in the book of Hebrews. And so last week we laid a foundation. We think it's important that you get orientated uh, whenever you're diving into the scriptures, that you understand kind of the landscape or you're entering into the conversation that uh, has already been going on. And so last week, that's exactly what we did. So pop quiz for you this morning. You didn't know this was going to happen, but who wrote the book of Hebrews? We don't know. Oh, thank you. You're better than the 9 a.m. Well done, 11 a.m. All right. Uh, what is Hebrews? What kind of book is it? It is a sermon. Yes. And uh, what is the sermon about? Over and over again, it says this funny little phrase again and again. And what is it saying? Jesus is better. You guys are awesome. Well done. Good job tracking along. And so today we're going to be in chapter two. Grab your Bibles or follow along on our Bible app this morning. But where our passage will pick up this morning uh, is remember that Hebrews is written to a Jewish audience that is facing pressure. They are facing pushback. They are facing persecution. There's, they are Jewish people that have said yes to Jesus as the Messiah and that now feel the pressure of following in the footsteps of Jesus. And they are beginning to wonder, is it worth it? Come on, anybody been there? When life gets hard, the Jewish people are asking, is it worth it to follow Jesus? And so the book of, and chapter one, over and over again, what gets lifted up is Jesus, that God has spoken the final word of God is spoken in the fullness of Jesus Christ, that every time you look at Jesus, you get God every single time. He's the, mouth, he's the mold, remember, the mouthpiece of God. When you see Jesus, you get God every single time. He's a perfect match, and he has spoken, so we lift up the name of Jesus. That's what happens in chapter one. When you face persecution, when you face hurt, when you face uncertainty, what do you do? You lift up the person of Jesus. And that's how we enter into chapter 2 and where we're going to find ourselves this morning. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Let's look at what it says together. Next slide. It says this in verse 2. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. So you have to start here. Hebrews chapter 2 starts this way. God is not silent. God has spoken and he has spoken 
through a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was Jesus Christ. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1, we lift up the name of Jesus, and chapter 2 comes alongside. They're married together. In the original text, there was no chapter 1 or chapter 2. It was all written together. And we see these two ideas colliding. When life gets hard, when you're faced persecution, when you're facing friction and uncertainty, lift up the name of Jesus and pay attention to him. That's what's going on in the story. We lift up Jesus and watch Jesus, pay attention to Jesus, get focused on Jesus, center your life on Jesus, look at Jesus, be distracted by Jesus all of the time because God has spoken and he has spoken through a son. So you have to feel the weight of, of what's going on. This is not a, a yoke that is put on us, but it's, a, it's the weight that comes with something that's valuable. That yes, God has spoken. And the weight that you and I get to walk in is, now we get to listen. We get to listen. We get to pay attention. We get to focus in on Jesus. And so the question you have to ask yourself, the question I want us to consider this morning is, are you listening? Because it's not a matter of, does God speak? That's been settled. The question is, are you listening? Because everybody is listening to something. If you want to go to a concert, you have to make arrangements. You have to take precautions. You have to do things. You have to figure out, hey, who do I want to go see? Where are they playing? Are they coming to my city? Am I going to get a babysitter? Absolutely. How am I going to, am I going to invite my friends? Where is the venue? Okay, can I pay online? I'm going to show up. I'm going to do all those things. You have to do certain things if you want to go and listen. It makes sense. Uh, if you want to watch a sports event, which ain't nobody doing right now anyways, but if you wanted to watch a sports event in the evening times, you would want to make sure what time is your team playing? Where are they playing? What time zone are they in? Uh, is it going to be on by the time I sit down for dinner? I want to make sure that I plan my meal accordingly to watch, you know, do all those things. You know what I, you know, you know what I realized that like I'm about halfway done with this show. Like I've become midlife is when now when you get in my car, you will not hear the radio playing. You will hear podcast and talk radio. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've hit midlife, right? Is anybody there with me? Uh, but my, the podcast just don't show up on my iPhone. I have to go out and find them. I have to download the ones I like, the ones I even disagree with because they challenge me and they make me think and I have to tune in and I have to turn it on. And when the kids leave the car, I can finally kind of focus in on, you know, the voice of God in my life. But if you want to listen, you go out and you get. If you want to hear, you tune in. You prioritize. You position yourself the question is, is not, is there God have something to say, but is, are you listening? The question is, what are you listening to? Because everybody is listening to something and God is not silent. Literally, verse one says this, pay attention, listen to him, listen to him. 
Dwell on him. Focus on him. Get obsessed with him. Get distracted by him. In the morning time, pay attention to him. When you go to school, pay attention to him. When you drive to work, pay attention to him. At work, pay attention to him. Just pay attention to him. Pay attention to him. He's not silent. Jesus says things like, my yoke is easy and my burden is listening is not hard if you want to tune in. The author of Hebrews says, turn down the noise. Turn down the TV. Turn off the garbage that is social media. And it is a life suck that will waste your time getting sucked into it for hours on its... Is it just me? Is it just me? Because I'm, I find myself constantly distracted by it. And the author of Hebrews says, turn it all down. There's lots of noise that is com- competing for your ear. And listening is not hard. God is not mean. He is speaking. He has spoken. The question is, are you listening? The first commandment and the whole book of Hebrews is spectacular in nature. Chapter one, Jesus is better. When you face persecution, he's better. He's worth it. God has spoken in the son and he's better than the prophets as good as they were. He's better than the angels who God's previously spoke to. He's just better. We see that this nature of God lifting up Jesus really, really high so that when we get to chapter 2 and the first commandment in the book of Hebrews is listen to him, it's like, how can I not listen to him? He's unbelievable. Do you not recognize what we found in this Savior, this Redeemer, this Restorer? Listening is designed to be easy. It's hard, brothers and sisters, to not listen, to tune them out. It's normal. And this is not an accusation against you, but this is, come on, I've got some things I want to say to you. And as followers of Jesus, it's normal that we learn to enjoy him, that we learn to commune with him, that we know how to recognize his voice, that we know how to just honestly let him sit and remind us of how good he is and the gift that we have found in his son. The first commandment in the book of Hebrews is not work harder. Don't work harder. Don't labor for Jesus. Just listen to him. Look at him. He's spectacular. He's better. Jesus is just better. So the last week we started with some homework. And we, uh, let me be honest, if you do not have an alarm on your phone that is titled, Lord Include Me, you're wrong. That is our homework for this semester. We are going to be a community that prays, Lord Include Me. That every single day I don't wake up for myself. It's not my day. I didn't create it. The day is a gift and it's given to us by the Creator. And so I want to be somebody that says, Lord Include Me and with whatever you have on your agenda today. And so we started that last week. If you haven't done it yet, jump in. It's going to be fun. So each week, I wanted to bring just ways that people are experiencing that and the ways that they are pushing into this, how do I listen to Jesus? How can I hear his voice? And the way that they walk that out in faith. And so this morning, would you watch one of our good friends, Miss Robin, as she shares her short little story? Let's watch this. This is my Lord Include Me. 
I'm a wedding planner, and a while back I was heading toward the venue for my first wedding back after some of the social distancing guidelines had been lifted and having a conversation with Jesus as I do with most weddings, but in particular this one, the family was a little weary and lots of changes and just want safety for their guests but want the show to go on. And Anyway, so I'm talking with Jesus, and I hear him say, you need to pray over the bride when you get there. And I said, Jesus, I'm praying for her right now, and I'll continue to do so until I get to the venue. And I did. So I get to the venue and kind of make my first swipe through the venue, check in on things. And then I head up to the suite and open the door and call the bride over. Of course, there's laughter, bridesmaids, breakfast, uh, hair and makeup are being done, and all the fun things that happen in the suite. And it just looked great. Bride seemed peaceful. Everything seemed great. So I wished her well and told her I was going to go get busy. Headed back downstairs and got halfway down the stairs, and the Lord just said, Stop. You need to go pray over that bride. So I, I knew I had to go back up. So I did. I opened the door and kind of discreetly called her over to the door and said, Hey, I'd like to pray over you. And would that be okay? And she goes, Oh my goodness, yes. And she turns around and yells to the entire suite, Y'all, come here, come here, gather around. Robin wants to pray for us. At which time I thought I might get sick right there in the suite. But I, um, side note, don't do groups too great, nor do I do strangers too great. But anyway, I let the Lord order my words and just prayed for the group, the bride or family, the day, safety of guests and all the whatnot and headed back downstairs to, to get busy. And you know, uh, the day was amazing. And there were so many God moments in the day that um, were just undeniable. And I just knew that even in my reluctance, the Lord was sweet enough to include me in something that he was already doing. And so if you ask him to include you, he will. How beautiful is that? The Lord literally stopped her and made her turn back around. God speaks. Pay attention is what Hebrew says. Pay attention. He's spectacular. Pay attention. He wants to include you. Let's look at the backside of verse 1. Let's go back to verse 1 and look at it real quick. It says this, we must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard. This is huge. Listen to this back part. So that we do not drift away. So that we do not drift away. If you don't listen, if you don't pay attention, if you don't dial in, if you don't get focused, if you don't center yourself, if you don't keep your eye on, if you don't make much of Jesus, you will drift away. You can't be transformed. You won't be teachable, you won't be moldable, you'll become hard, you won't be soft, you won't be teachable. Don't drift away is what Hebrews says. That word drift right here in uh, verse 2 is only found here in the book of Hebrews. It's the only place that it shows up in the Newer Testament and it carries with it these, this imagery that I want to show you just so that we're clear about what it's talking about to drift away. Go to the next slide. This is a picture of Canyon Lake. Uh, And when we think about our Christian life, about following after Jesus, the author of Hebrews wants you to know it's not like a lake. When you get in a lake, you don't drift away. Basically, unless it's windy. But if, if you get in Canyon Lake and you pick your feet up, you're not going anywhere. You're going to stay put because it's a lake. That's normal. That's what you should expect to happen when you're in a lake. The author of Hebrews says, no, this is the better picture. Next slide. This is a picture of the Guadalupe. 
This is a picture of the Guadalupe. This is what the, the life of Jesus is an invitation to. Upstream living. Upstream living. That there is stuff that will push against you, that will feel pressure against you. You should expect, have you ever like walked up a river a really long way? You got to walk with purpose every single footstep and be diligent so that what? You don't drift. You will drift if you don't do anything. Uh, Fridays are my day off, and Friday I got to go uh, fishing down on the Guadalupe Friday morning. Uh, and I love it. I love it because it doesn't take any work. You just get in my, get in my kayak, and I just pick up my feet, and I float on down the river. Drifting. There will come a point where, maybe not at first, because at first you'll be able to see me drift just a little bit, but there will come a point where I've drifted too far and you won't see me anymore because I've drifted too far. And the author of Hebrews says this, don't drift. Expect pressure. Expect pushback. Expect it. And do you know who the worst is at this? You know who the worst drifters are? And I'm including myself in this for those of us that have been followers of Jesus a while. Because we're like, oh, I get it. I get the story. I know the thing. I've been around a while. Like, we equate, oftentimes, I do, good behavior with intimacy. Or the right answer with actually the same thing as experiencing it. And those things are separate. Knowing and experiencing are different. And yet, I find myself drifting because I have good behavior. I wrote it this way. Behavior modification without intimacy is just religion. But intimacy without obedience is hypocrisy. And I need to tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, that drifting is deadly. It is deadly in your walk with Jesus. You drift a little bit. You can still see me just a little bit down the river. But if I drift far enough, there's going to come a point where I've gone way down the road and you won't be able to see anymore. And the author of Hebrews says, it's deadly and it needs to be taken with utmost serious in your relationship with Jesus. If you are not purposeful with every single step, don't drift. When you have an extra drink at night because it's really stressful around the house. When it's just easier to sleep in and not be apart and engage. When it's when you find yourself lingering on the computer at night when everything in the house is kind of quiet and the family's in bed. When you find yourself at maybe at work engaging in a conversation, looking for a conversation with a coworker because they really understand you better than your spouse does. The author of Hebrews says, it is dangerous. It is dangerous. No one sets out to ruin their lives. It is a slow 
fade and it will take you places farther than you could have imagined. And Hebrews is this sobering, sobering moment that says it's deadly, brothers and sisters. And please hear me say, this is not legalism. This is not legalism. This is wisdom. This is, this is wisdom. There is no neutral ground in your relationship and in your walk with Jesus. No neutral ground. It's the river. When you get into the river, the call to following Jesus is upstream. What should you expect? You will drift towards unhealth. The world is not drifting towards godliness. It is drifting further and further away. And the only thing that you need to do to drift towards unhealth, towards godliness, is do nothing. Pick your feet up and you will drift. That is normal. Do you know, this week I, I, there was a question for me that got taken off the table. One that I've been thinking about maybe for a while. And Have you ever said this before? How did I end up here? I never thought I would be in this place. I never thought I would be in this season. How did I end up here? And do you know what this tells me about that question? It's the drift. In some sense or some sort of way, because I did not choose to be purposeful with every single step, I have to recognize I've chosen unhealth. I've chosen to drift, and that's a sobering moment for me. Because how many times in my life are I'm like, Lord, how do you have me in this place? God, it's your fault, and I blame him for my drift. Come on, is this anybody? And it's like, no, it's the deadliness of the drift that will just take you further and keep you longer than you imagined. And it's deadly in the Christian walk. And I know that there are many um, y'all, me included, that would say, that's me. There may not be the red flashing lights going off, but there has been a slow fade in my life for a while. I'm not delighting in him. I'm not enjoying him. I can't remember when I, the last time I just picked up the scriptures and, oh, and it wasn't out of duty, but it was out of delight. And I know that there are many that feel like, man, I've drifted farther than I, than I thought. And the author of Hebrews says, listen to him. Pay attention to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Get centered on Jesus. Make much of Jesus. Be distracted by Jesus. Listen to Jesus because God has spoken in the Son. God has spoken in the Son. And when I learn to delight in Jesus, do you know what is natural? What is natural is for the power of sin to be broken in my life when I'm learning to delight in Jesus because nothing tastes as good as he does. Sin loses its taste when you get a taste of the goodness of God. Nothing else will satisfy you like Jesus does. And do you see this progression that is going on in the book of Hebrews? Is Pay attention to Jesus. Let's lift him high in, in chapter 1. Verse 2 is pay attention to Jesus. 
Because if you don't pay attention, brothers and sisters, you will drift away. Look at what it says kind of in closing. It says this, For since this message has been spoken through angels that was binding in every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. Listen to this part. This is powerful. How shall we escape if we ignore? That word ignore is probably a better way to translate that is neglect. Such a great salvation. This salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus and was confirmed by those who have heard him. It's interesting to me that the author of Hebrews connects drifting with neglecting your salvation. That you drift when you neglect what God has done for you. You neglect, you drift away when you don't center your life on the work and the works in the person of Jesus Christ. You will drift away. And neglecting is dangerous. Have you ever met a neglected kid before? Because in my time uh, doing student ministry here, I'm ran across several neglected children in our community. That their home life was um, a nightmare. And when they would show up, they would show up to youth disheveled, honestly, really stinky. Their hygiene was horrible. Most of the time you wondered, man, do you have a have a change of clothes because every time I see you you're in the and it's a sign of neglect and that's just the stuff you can see and then there's the stuff you have to look harder for the emotional and spiritual side where they don't really have any friends they don't know how to trust anybody there is this raging war going on inside of them that, is, that has been started because of the neglect they have experienced in their home. And when you neglect a child, it is devastating. And many of you have seen firsthand what neglect does. And I need to tell you that the author of Hebrews says, when you neglect your salvation, it's devastating. It will have symptoms that show up in your life. When you neglect the work that Jesus has done for you on your behalf, it will surface in your life. Every single one of us, the only way that every single one of us should get up every single day is with joy in our hearts. This is going to be painful. This is hard. Not because politically everything is great. Not because racially everything is great. Not because school is great. Amen. <laughs> school is hard right now. Not because everything is great. My, I have a job. My circumstances, my finances are all in check. But do you realize what you have found, what has been found for you in the person of Jesus Christ? It says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not the joy of your circumstances, the joy of your happenings, the joy of what your eyes lay on, but the joy of the Lord is 
my strength and you will drift away. The, the way that you get dialed back in, the way you get pulled back in is by not neglecting your salvation about what Jesus has done. Salvation is not once you were really bad and God has come along to make you really nice, clean you up a little bit because things were kind of rough. And so he just gave you a change of clothes and put you on your way. Salvation is, can we be honest, you are dead. You were separated out. There was a chasm between you and him. You were not okay. You were not fine. You were not managing your life pretty okay. And Jesus came in and just ramped things up a little bit. It was bad. Your life in your hands was unmanageable. And the only thing you were doing is making it worse the story of the prodigal son. What's it say about the story of the prodigal son? He comes to his senses. He wakes up and what does he find himself in? Pig crap. Sorry. Pig poop. And not knee deep. He's neck deep. That's you. That's me. We are neck deep in our filth. We are neck deep in our choices and we are helpless. We are stuck. We are suffocated. The scripture says that all of our best efforts were like dirty menstrual rags. There was a gap that you could not cross for yourself. Don't neglect what Jesus has done for you. He has not made you good. You were once dead and he breathed life into you. He lapped up, sucked up every ounce of sin in your life so that when he looks at you, he looks at you and is like, where is it? I don't see it anymore. It's not that you have just been just forgiven. That would have been enough. It's even more than just forgiveness. Come on, Romans people. Those that you were tracking with us in Romans, we said that there is this big theological idea out there called justification. Justification is forgiveness plus righteousness. Forgiveness means is what happened on the cross where all of my stuff got lapped up and sucked up by him and it's literally squashed and put to death once and for all. And now it's not just forgiveness, it's the righteousness that now it's not me who lives but Christ who lives in me that I've taken on a new nature that when he looks at me, the old is gone and there is brand new standing in front of you so that when you, I'm not a sinner anymore, I'm an adopted son, I'm an adopted daughter, I got a dad that says, welcome home. Don't neglect your salvation. Friends, it was bad. You were not okay. The gospel is the announcement of the good news of the kingdom coming and unfolding and God rewriting your story. It was bad. Don't neglect how bad it is, is what the author of Hebrews wants you to say. God gladly stepped forward and lapped it all up so that he could breathe new life into you for the very first time. How can you not do anything but I just want to pay attention to that? He's that good. He's that kind. He's that thoughtful. 
Do you see the progression that is going on in just a couple of verses? Lift Jesus high. Pay attention to Jesus. Because if you don't pay attention to Jesus, you are choosing unhealth. I recognize at 40, if I'm not taking care of my body and I am uh, not eating and exercising, I'm at the place in my life where this thing ain't headed the right way. And 40 pounds are going to come on like Twinkie by Twinkie. And I'm choosing it if I'm not choosing to take care of it. And the author of Hebrews says, same thing. You will drift towards unhealth unless you choose health every single time. And so you choose health by remembering how good Jesus' gift is. The hope that we have found in Jesus Christ. Look at the full scripture of how it's beautifully just woven together right here. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that you don't drift away. This message was spoken through the angels, was binding, and every violation and disobedience received is just punishment. How shall we escape it if we ignore such this great gift, this great salvation that's found in Jesus, the salvation that was the first announced from the Lord, from God, and was confirmed to all of us who heard him. This is Hebrews 2. It's powerful. It's the hinge of the whole thing. Pay attention. Focus. Dial in. Listen. Center yourself. Remember, don't drift away. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. You'll have noticed that worship was short on the front end today. That's because I believe that uh, God wants to bubble up something inside of you. There has been something that I have not said, but that has come through me from God's heart to you that has tricked you somewhere where you have said, maybe, I've, maybe I have drifted. Maybe I'm not paying attention. Maybe I have forgotten just how good the gift of salvation actually is. And so this morning, we're just going to make room. And I don't know about you, but there are things that can only be said when I worship. No amount of great, hopefully, great preaching can do the same things as putting your heart under what heaven is trying to get down. And so we're going to spend the next 10 minutes just worshiping together, asking the Lord to help us pay attention so that we don't drift and that we remember just the gift that we found in Jesus. And I've invited a couple friends that are going to pray for us this morning. They spent the last couple days praying about giving a word to Riverside. And I hope that's not weird or awkward for you to give a word. But really, all that simply means is they've been praying and listening on your behalf. And they feel like they have some things that God wants to say to us this morning. And so they're going to just come up in a second and just pray that over us in our community. And I'm going to ask that we stand together and that we give our heart's attention and our focus back on him and just be in a posture of receiving what he wants to do 
right at this very moment. Let's do that.